But we're going to open up with prayer and just kind of center our hearts on Jesus. Will you join me? Jesus, everything we do, everything we are, everything we speak begins and ends with you. And so, Father, as we're spending time in your words, spending time reflecting on fatherhood, reflecting on the great fatherhood of God, we just ask that you would be here with us. We invite you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let your words be on my mouth. Stir our hearts in ways that they hasn't been stirred before and lead us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. Amen. So I was um, reflecting this week. Um, my husband and I and my brother and his wife, we took my dad out for Father's Day. I have a whole bunch of siblings, and when we all get together, it's this huge scrum of people. And so we have found that it's easier to have kind of one-on-one -on -one time when you just do stuff individually with dad. So we started this tradition. We take my dad out. We go to Red Lobster. We eat way too much shrimp, so much that we all feel just a little bit weird afterward. But it's once a year, so it's fine. But anyways, I was thinking about sonship, and I was thinking about the process by which kind of in-laws become family. I mean, it's a kind of a crazy thing that you meet someone and you fall in love with them or whatever, and they aren't just your person anymore. They're your parents' kids, right? They're your siblings' siblings. And we create families based on different relationships, but those relationships are many times amazing. Like, my sister-in-law is as close to me as my sister. I would never think of her as not my full sister. And yet, if my brother hadn't been charming as all heck, I would have never gotten to hang out with her at all. I was thinking about this one time. My, uh, my husband grew up in our youth group, and so um, my mom was a youth leader, and both my parents were, and so he called her by her first name, because, you know, that's the cool, hip thing to do when you're trying to make teenagers like you, let them call you by the first name, and uh, so he called her Jane. But I remember right after we got engaged, my mom said, Stephen, there are only eight people in this world who can call me mom. And you, from now on, are one of them. You are my son, and I want you to call me mom. And for him, that was such a moving moment of my mom saying, you aren't just Rebecca's soon-to-be husband. You're my son, and I want you to call me mom. And when uh, the disciples were talking to Jesus, they kind of had one of these moments where they were saying, okay, you know, John's disciples are um, praying like this, and, uh, you know, how do we pray? W what does it look like for us to pray? Oh, are my slides up there? That doesn't look like my slides. Although, those are the church office hours. If you want to hang out with me, 
guaranteed Tuesday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., you can come have a cup of coffee and use our new hole puncher with me. Highly recommend. It'll be a good time. But so anyway, the disciples had this conversation with Jesus. Okay, John's disciples were, you know, learning how to pray and being discipled and all this stuff. And so Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is what he said. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. And of course, it goes on to continue with the Lord's Prayer. But the point here is that what Jesus was saying was, call him dad. When you're thinking about God, when you're thinking about the great, you know, majestic creator, sometimes it's hard to navigate. Like, I know Jesus is my friend, but also God is like big and cosmic. How do I properly interact with God? And what Jesus was saying here Call him dad. God's desire for us is to look at him like a father. And when Jesus was on earth, that's a lot of what he was doing, was modeling this father-son relationship between God and God's people. Because for a long time, if people wanted to interact with God, you know, it was all through sacrifice. It was through, like, perfect living. It was through keeping all of these special rules. It was through doing all these right things. It was through uh, going to the prophets. What does God say? What does God want? What do we do? What do we do? It was this whole thing. But when Jesus came, he modeled something totally different. Right? Like when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and you hear this voice from heaven not saying, Jesus did all the right things. Do the right things too. Right? The voice from heaven didn't say, this is Jesus. He's going to show you what's up. It said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so when we interact with God, through Jesus, we see a different model. Not a, I hope you're good with me. I hope we're good. I hope Jesus, or God, I tried. I, this is my best. I know I fell short. I, I was really crappy to my husband this morning. Or, or man, you know, my kids drove me nuts. Or that guy who cut me off. Sorry, God. So, sorry. What he was modeling was a father-son relationship. So I messed up. So I didn't do the right thing. God knows. Jesus forgives. Right? It's a new way of doing and a new way of being. So this morning what we're going to talk about is these kind of three different parts of fatherhood. The three um, elements of the father heart of God and ways that we can think about God that can help us understand not only the framework for honoring human fathers, but also for relating with our Heavenly Father, and they are this. Number one, that God is the perfect example of fatherhood. Number two, our relationship with our earthly father directly impacts our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And number three, when we support fathers, we bring a generation closer to God. God is the perfect father. I think we all kind of know this intuitively. But we perhaps forget at times 
the reasons why he's such a good father. Like we say the our father, we know that he is, but he isn't just our father because he's the father of all creations. God is our protector. Psalm 32, 7 says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. God is our father because in the times in our life when we have no idea what to do, when the world seems scary or all the decisions we need to make make us feel unsure, we can remember that he is our hiding place. Just like when my kids get nervous, They'll just like casually slide behind my husband sometimes in public. You've seen that with kids when they're feeling shy. I actually had it this morning. I was trying to get one of my favorite toddlers in the church to give me a high five. And she was like not feeling it. And I was like, I'm a really good wheedler, you know. Oh, oh look, mommy gives me a high five. You want to give me a high five? And like I'm not going to make her, obviously, because I respect her bodily autonomy. But I'm like, come on. Right? But like she just casually slid behind her mom. Right? And that's what kids do because they know this is my protector and I'm feeling weird in this moment. And that's a healthy response. But for us, I think we can forget as grown-ups that it is a perfectly natural response when we are feeling unsure to say, God, let me slide behind you on this one. God, go before me. God, I, I don't know what to do with work this week. These people are out of their mind. God, go before me. God, let me go behind you. Let me follow after you. Be my refuge. Be my hiding place. God is affectionate. He's an affectionate father. He's not an exacting father who's imposing his will upon us, controlling our every move. Hosea 11.4 says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. I love that picture. Imagine, imagine God leaning down, lifting us up, and putting his head to his cheek. That's a picture of the fathering heart of God. That's who God is. God is he who lifts us up and puts our cheek to his. God delights in us. The Lord is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love he will exalt over you with loud singing. The posture of God to his people is delight. The posture of God to his people is not disappointment. It's delight. He loves to see what we're doing. He's interested in the things we're passionate about. When we try something new and fail, he's not angry with us or disappointed that we couldn't pull it off. He's impressed that we tried, right? Like a little kid, when my child's trying to do a trick on the trampoline and wants me to watch for the millionth time, oh, heaven help me. I'm not like, oh my gosh, you couldn't stick the landing, could you? Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, shouldn't have had you as my kid. 
should have perhaps had someone better. But sometimes I feel like that with God, right? When I'm trying to do my best and I mess up and I don't stick the landing in something in my life, there's a part of me that's like, man, God, maybe you should have picked somebody a little better. Maybe you, sh maybe you should have had someone a little more talented. God's like, slow down. S sl slow down, right? He sings over us. He rejoices over us. And if this is the perfect view of God our Father, this is who God is. Our relationship with our earthly father directly impacts our relationship with our heavenly father. The Bible says this in Matthew. It says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And the reason why they set up this comparison, you humans, flawed, whatever, if you can do this, God is as loving but on a way larger scale. If you think that your generosity through an imperfect human is amazing, imagine the generosity blown up and from an intensely loving God. We get that comparison. Like when we're teaching kids, uh, I, I teach the chapel here sometimes, and Dwight and I take turns, and um, they're little preschoolers, right? So they're three and four years old, and three and four-year-olds will tell you anything. Like, if you have sent your kids to school, preschool, or kids' ministry, those teachers know some stuff about your house. Like, I remember I had this class at kindergartners, and they would tell me stuff. And eventually I had to be like, hey, I don't, uh, I don't know if Dad wants me to know about that. Um, that sounds like a private at-home thing to talk about, like your dad's, like, Saturday morning routines. I don't know if I want to hear about it. But when we're talking to the kids, we'll often say things like, so who do you think is, like, the strongest person ever and they're all like my dad is and I'm like is he and they're like my dad is so strong he could like lift anything and I'm like no way and they're like he is and he's the tallest and the smartest I'm like I bet he is and then the other little kids are like no they're not my dad is and then it the brawl happens, and it gets weird, and I have to like, sorry, that was a bad idea. But it is natural for kids to see their dads, no matter what their dads are like, no matter if their dad is awesome or not, my dad is the biggest and the strongest. And then, so when we tell, so they, they go and they tell us all that stuff, and then we say, do you know what's crazy? As big and strong as your dad is, did you know that God is even bigger and stronger than your dad? And they're like, what? That's crazy. And all of a sudden, a three-year-old understands the magic and authority of God. Because they get it. They're like, Shh, if God is stronger than my dad, then God is so strong beyond my comprehension. And you know what? As a fully grown adult, that's the truth. Yes, God is so big and so strong, beyond my comprehension. But they understand it when we're talking about it in terms of their fathers, because their fathers are their first view of their Heavenly Father. The strong men in their life 
they get it. And when we say to them, so, like, who loves you, like, more than anybody? And they're always like, my dad and my mom. And then we're like, yeah, what do they do that love you? They take care of me, and they make food, and they make chicken nuggets, and, and they buy me things, and they make Christmas. And you're like, that's amazing. Your dad must love you like crazy. My dad loves me like crazy. And then I'm like, and then the other kids, of course, are like, what? No, my dad loves me more. And so then there's this whole thing, right? And then we say, did you know that as much as your daddy loves you, your God loves you even more. And they're like, what? That's crazy. Like, their minds are blown because they can't comprehend a love greater than the love their fathers here on earth show them. And that's a fact. And this works really, really well when they have good dads, right? I mean, we know things. We know about family systems. So, you know, we will say your mom and your dad, your grown-ups at home, the people who love you, because we get that real life happens. But the truth is, is that our positive and negative experiences with our humanly dads, that's not a word, humanly, human dads, earthly dads, provide us our first way of thinking about our Heavenly Father. I had a friend who was really struggling with her faith. She was, like, she had this deep soul anxiety around God not being trustworthy. Like, she had this feeling like, I mean, she was raised in the church. She believed all this stuff. This wasn't someone new to faith, but she just had such a hard time trusting that God would be there for her. And so we prayed a lot, and we talked about it. And then she started sharing with me the story of her earthly father, who had abandoned she and her mother when they were little, and who would come in when she was doing something really good, and then you know, like an award ceremony, and he'd duck out. And then when she'd invite him to something really special, he was never there. He never came. And as we talked about it, she's like, you know, I, I, think, I think I keep expecting my heavenly father to behave like my earthly father. I think I've spent a lifetime being disappointed by my dad, and I can't wrap my head around what it would look like to have a father who stayed to have a father who didn't leave me. And, and, that's, and that's true. And so, you know, eventually, having realized that, she could then do that work, right? So she did that work with counselors. She did that work in praying and just asking for freedom, asking for God to take this negative kind of framework of fatherhood and restore it to something healthy. But that is the truth, that if we have a father who is unaffectionate here on earth, our expectation for our Heavenly Father, we don't think of God being affectionate. If we have an earthly father who's angry, our tendency, and we've seen this over and over and over in people's lives, and we're talking about freedom and spiritual growth and whatever, if their father is absent, very often they see their Heavenly Father as absent. And so there's this restorative work 
that we need to do. But these negative experiences, they can entrap us in ways of thinking that feel like chains, right? Like, I can't get past this thing. I can't get past this experience in my life that, like, you ever feel like when you're kind of stuck in something emotionally or, like, in a bad habit, it feels like, like you're stuck. It's like a cycle of thinking. Like, I know I've had that where, like, um, for a while, I struggled with kind of negative self-talk. I was just like really hard on myself, and so I'd do something wrong. I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you just do do And I had to intentionally choose to break that cycle. As soon as that started coming up, that's not the truth. The truth is that I am loved beyond my wildest imaginations. And I speak truth back to myself, and I had to get out of the habit, right? But these habits of thinking, and that's the same way if we have... Uh, an unhealthy human father, it takes time. It takes work. It takes sometimes therapy. It takes prayer to get out of these kind of uh, bondage to an unhealthy way of thinking. But this is what the Bible says. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When we receive Jesus, when we receive God, we didn't receive another negative relationship to hold us into a slavery of performance. We didn't receive a relationship that would make us anxious. We didn't receive another negative figure in our life, but we receive freedom. We receive the spirit of adoption by which our primary family becomes the family of God. By which our primary father becomes our heavenly father. By which we are defined by his name that he puts on us. And whatever negative experiences we have with human people are washed off because where the spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. And what he's saying here is when we call on God, we call him Abba, Father. That means Papa. It means that the negative things can be washed away. That we don't have to stay in these models. We don't have to pass them on to the next generation. We can say, Abba, Father. God, you are my Father. And all of the things that we talked about that the Heavenly Father does and is, those are your will for me. When we support fathers, we bring a generation closer to God. The thing is, is that like dads are people. Dads are people who have sometimes been parented badly. I know I loved my grandfather, but when he was parenting my dad, he was not good. And my dad had to break a lot of really negative family things. And some things, you're still breaking. But according to the research published by the University of Pennsylvania, children who have a close relationship with their fathers are twice as likely to enter college. They're 75% less likely to become a teen parent. They're 80% less likely to be incarcerated, and they're 50% less likely to show various signs of depression. 
The Journal of Personality and Social Psychology concluded in a 26-year-long study that the number one factor in developing empathy in children was father involvement. What is one of the best things that I can do as my children's mother? I can teach them to love their father. What is one of the best things as a church we can do to make sure our young people encounter God and live healthy lifestyles? We can raise up and build up our fathers. We can encourage, we can love, we can support, and we can foster healthy relationships between fathers and their children. And fathers in this culture are taking a hit right now. I don't know if y'all have turned on a TV recently, but the way that dads are talked about is shocking to me. Like, if they talked about moms the way they talked about dads, I think my sisters and I would, like, rise up, right? We would be protesting. If they portrayed women clueless like they portray men, it's disgusting. It's ungodly. Right? The spiritual office of fatherhood is one of dignity and respect and strength. I was talking to a friend a couple years ago, and she was saying, well, you know, we're, we want to go do something. And she's like, well, I don't know if my, you know, my husband doesn't, you know, I don't like to leave him with the kids. And I was like, your husband? The one you made those kids with? You're not going to, like, leave them with them? She's like, well, I mean, I don't know, you know. He doesn't really babysit much. And I was like, babysit much? Like, you are depriving your children from seeing their heavenly father as a nurturer when you paint your husband as someone incapable of nurturing. Who cares if it's mac and cheese? They're learning that a father nourishes and provides and cares for. Leave the babies with the daddies. Let them play rough. Let them hang from trees. Right? Who cares? This is their God-given office of fatherhood, and they're not going to father like a mother. Thank God. Because my kids would be all kinds of weird and soft if I was the only parent. Because I, I do, I get a little like, aww, 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 you're sad, aww. And my husband's like, <coughs> they are fine. I'm like, I don't know if they're fine. He's like, they're fine. Thank God. Thank God for that, right? First Thessalonians 5.11 says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. Church, hear this. Encourage one another. Build each other up. The fathers in our community have unlearned unhealthy patterns that have been passed down by their fathers. They're choosing to stay. They're choosing to love. They're choosing rightly for their children. Mamas, when your husband brings home a paycheck, he is teaching your children that the Heavenly Father provides by showing him that the earthly Father provides. And that act is holy unto God.
Dads, when you get down on the floor and you're playing with your children, you teach them that their heavenly father enters their space in a way that's loving and affectionate and playful. And that is holy unto God. Church, when you see a dad in the store with his kids and you tell him that he's doing a good job even though they're running all over the place, you are building each other up. And that is holy unto God. When we love our fathers right, when we honor the fathers in our midst and in our culture, we are participating in a holy act that is going to impact the generations because they're going to see a father who is different. Men, when you identify a single mama who might need a hand, when you take her son, with permission, because it would be weird if you didn't, and teach him how to clear her driveway, that is holy unto God. When you provide a godly example, older men, for the younger men in the community who are still in the trenches of spit-up and sassy teenagers, you are fathering other fathers. And that is holy because you're imaging God. Because that's what God does. He fathers. He fathered Jesus, who fathered the disciples, who fathered their disciples. We're all participating in this great act of fatherhood, and we're imaging God as we do it. Now, now oh, I'm sure that as we've been talking about this, there's uh, things in your mind like, Rebecca, I'm not actually a very good dad. I have made some shockingly bad decisions. I maybe wasn't fathered great. Maybe I was too authoritative. Maybe I didn't show affection. Maybe I wasn't a good provider. Maybe I wasn't this. Maybe my kids don't talk to me. Maybe I'm not close with them. Maybe I forgot to come close into their space. I'm, fe I'm feeling a little inadequate to be the picture of the heavenly God to my children. That's a pretty intense ask. But Hosea 11:14, fathers, says, I led them. And in here we're going to put the word fathers because it's everyone and fathers are everyone. I lead fathers with cords of human kindness, with ties of love to these fathers I was one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Fathers, God wants to feed you. God wants to come close to you when you don't know how to do this thing you're doing. God wants to come gently when you've made a mistake and help you make it right. And for those who are like, my earthly father was a mess. The things I came out of make it hard for me to see God. Maybe you didn't have a dad. Let's see, click. Nope. Can you click me over? I don't know. That's okay. Oh, there we go. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says, He is a father to the fatherless, 
a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. If you're someone who is like, man, I'm basically fatherless. Maybe your father's passed away. Maybe your father was not who he should have been. Your father is God. He is the father to the fatherless. He is the one who comes close and replaces the things that weren't great. If you're a single mom who has been father and mother both, you have done the hard work of doing all the things. God is the defender of widows. And that might not even just be your husband has died. Maybe it's he has left or you didn't have one and you're raising these kids by yourself. God is your defender. He is your children's father. And he promises, he promises that he will father them well. And he will set the lonely into families. We're going to go into a time of communion. And I love communion out of a message talking about fatherhood because communion is coming to our father's table. And in my house, the family table is where we talk about our day. It's where we talk about all the hard things and the good things and the things that have gone spectacularly bad, the times we're rejoicing. But it all happens at my house around our family table. And so this morning I want to invite us to the table, not just as the holy act, although it is, but as coming to our Father's table and bringing our stuff with us. Our feelings of inadequacy, our feelings of maybe disappointment in how our life has turned out, our fears, whatever it is that we've brought in this morning, this is the place that we bring it to God and say, God, this is my whole self. God, this is all the things that I have. This is my heart. I need you to do what only you can. So we're going to pray together, and then we're doing walk-up communion, and so we're going to do it a little differently today, which is that we're going to put in a little pause. So when you take the bread, give yourself just a second to reflect. To reflect on taking the body of Christ, upon the work that God has done for you and in you. And then you can take it and move on, but we're going to give people a little more time as they move through. But as I'm talking, if you are someone who has never felt the fatherhood of God, that you've maybe lived your life knowing about God or you haven't known about God, but you feel like, I, wanna, I want God to be my father. Jesus Christ died that we would have the privilege of calling God our father. When he came and lived a sinless life, he took our sins to the cross so that we could be brought into the family of God, so that we could be called Abba Father. And I want to challenge you this morning as we pray that today might be the day that you surrender your life to God. Today might be the day that you say, I, I want to live for you, Jesus. Make my life yours. Change, change this thing that I'm doing. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being called your children. We thank you for the fathers that you've put into our community, for these examples. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to support our fathers. You would help us to support 
our single mamas. You would help us to support the children who don't have fathers. God, give us eyes to see those who need built up. And we thank you for your incredible fatherhood. In Jesus' name.